Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Jesse Kanzer was born in the Soviet Union. As a descendant of Holocaust survivors, Jesse grew up living in a communal apartment with four households, one toilet, and an old bathtub in the middle of the kitchen. This led her family to seek asylum in the U.S. After awaiting their fate in Austria and Italy, they finally made it to Brooklyn in 1989. After experiencing depression, an eating disorder, and all sorts of existential problems, Jessie found the resource she needed. With the help of the Tao Jing, she rediscovered herself and her innate power, and she learned how to deal with life with less stress. Her book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, will help others do the same. Her work has appeared in the Washington Post, New York Daily News, Wall Street Journal, The Independent, The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Huffington Post, Ravishly, and Romper. Jessie lives with her two daughters and husband in Dobbs Ferry, New York. Jessie Kanzer, what an honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you so much, Casey. It's so fun to be here. It's really great to have you. I deliberately left out your middle name, which happens to be your given name, um, in the intro. And I did that for two reasons. The first reason is that I probably wouldn't pronounce it right anyway. (laughs) And secondly, I wanted to hear the story about that. Um, You have such an interesting story, which I want to get into, but I wanted to start there. I, I love that you didn't try. I think you could, but with some coaching. So yes. So uh, the full name that appears in my book is Jesse Asia Kanzer. Now, uh, my daughter said to me, my seven-year-old, she was like, you didn't have to put Asia in there. Your real name is Jesse. And it's so funny to hear that from her because I was uh, just about her age when I came to America. I turned eight on route. So I turned eight while we were waiting for asylum. And uh, my name was, in fact, Asya, as I told her. I was like, well, that that's what's on my birth certificate, actually. Mm, wow. <laughs> but, um, you know, the the pronunciation of a foreign name is not an easy feat ever. And this was also post-Cold War America. Um, it was not the friendliest place from like a little girl from Russia. And people did not enjoy my name saying my name correctly they enjoyed making fun of it in different ways and but teachers even teachers who who of course had the best intentions people had a lot of trouble pronouncing asya which is spelled a-s-y-a and um that is actually the opening chapter it's funny it's the opening chapter of my book don't just sit there do nothing uh because uh the subtitle is healing chilling and living with the Tao Te Ching and so I base The way I tell my story, my own personal story, my observations of the world, my story of healing is I base it on the teachings of the Tao Te Ching, an ancient philosophy. So every chapter starts off with a verse from the Tao. And the first chapter is all about what we're just talking about right now. Uh, It actually says ways that can be told are not the eternal way. Names that can be named must change with time and place. And of course, that was an easy opening for my initial story of changing my name in America. So my name changed with time and place. I did not enjoy my name as a this kind of standout of how different I was, this, this label of myself being different, not fitting in. We all seek belonging. And so by high school, I changed my name to Jesse and I reinvented a lot of myself. And the story of kind of going from there back to a place of where I 
include both the little Asya, a girl from another world, really, that came here with all of her innocence and enthusiasm for life. And I combined that with this more edgy person who had to who had to become a harder kind of person with everything that I had to go through as Jesse um, in order to to make it to where I am now. So now I'm kind of a combination of all of it. Mm, I love that. It's such a beautiful name, and and I was totally right. I would have botched it <laughs> completely. So I'm glad, I'm glad you uh, clarified that. Does it mean anything? Asya? That doesn't bother me anymore. FYI, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I would never make fun of you for sure. Um, does Asya yes. does Asya mean anything? I I'm sure it does. I don't know. And actually, that's such a great question because that's something I should ask my parents. To me, it has a lot of meaning. It it I have a vision. Like as soon as you say Asya, I just really envision myself in the Soviet Union, it was really a very black and white world. And perhaps that's how I envision it because also photographs, even though I was born in 1981, all of my childhood photographs are black and white. They look very similar to like your grandmother's photographs. They, Because of the Iron Curtain and the lack of progress in the Soviet Union, it was very much stuck in the past. And so I have this vision of myself um, and I have a lot of love for that girl, but there was a lot of stuff I had to go through before I became my whole self. Huh, interesting. You brought a, a really good point that I, I hadn't considered, the Cold War. The Cold War is still going on <laughs> in those days. Why on yeah. earth, why did they want to come to America of all places? Oh, my parents dreamed of coming to America. Um, the Soviet Union was, first of all, it was not a good place for Jews. Um, we have a lot of a lot of violence in my family history, including the Holocaust. Um, we also are from Latvia, uh, a place that was really, really heavily, I mean, Riga, where I'm from, lost like the, the most amount of Jews during the Holocaust in one place were killed in Riga. Um, and it wasn't an environment that was ever really, it, there was system, systemic anti-Semitism is what it's called, you know, the way there was, used to be systemic racism in this country, like like a Jewish person couldn't go to a certain college. And it wasn't even a religious aspect because actually my family was not religious. It was um, it was what was written on our passport. It was a way of identifying people. So there was Russian, there was Latvian, there was Jew. Jews were really had a specifically hard time there. And uh, there came a time where America let us in. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. You talked about some of the challenges you faced growing up. Can you talk a little bit about that, the time before you found the Dow? Absolutely. So what happens to a lot of people? Listen, first of all, we all have our challenges. I have not met one person who hasn't had struggles in their life. And what the Dow Day Chick taught me is that struggles, the bad and the good are just labels that we give experiences. And in fact, it's all learning. It's all moving forward in life. Uh, for me, a lot of the problems came. First of all, there was unaddressed trauma of, of childhood immigration. I come from a society in a time where nobody paid attention to like child psychology. You know, it was not it was not nobody asked, like, how are you doing? You lost all your friends and everything you knew. Are you doing OK? That just wasn't the case in in the defense of the adults who were in charge of these immigrants who were, you know, taking us and bringing us across countries, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of survival that needed to be taken care of. Um, you know, we were food insecure for periods of this immigration. It was, and early on here, 
food stamps, the whole bit. Um, and you really needed to, the adults focused on picking themselves up by their bootstraps, getting jobs, getting uh, housing, you know, it was, it was very much survival based existence. And there was a lot of trauma for me. I was a very sensitive person. I still am. I mean, uh, I think it was probably a difficult experience for everyone, but for me specifically, I can only really honestly talk to my own experience, the loss of friends, the loss of belonging, the loss of everything you knew at a very young age was very jarring. And I changed a lot of myself to belong because I I am a survivor. I, I did what I had to do to find belonging, but I didn't address that trauma. And so it followed me later in the form of depression, anxiety, bulimia, which I struggled for for seven years. And I was really at my bottom right after college. On the outside, everything looked great. You know, I was, I did really well. I graduated summa cum laude, but inside I was really dying. I was, first of all, I was dangerously bulimic. It was, you know, these are the kind of life-threatening illnesses that are, that are haunting and that have to be dealt with. And so I wasn't dealing with that. I wasn't dealing with my panic attacks. I was really a hot mess. And shortly after graduating college, I got into a really bad car accident, uh, which stopped me in my tracks. I had no choice. I mean, I had a brain injury and I had to stop, just stop, be still. And I really sucked at being still, you know, that's what what the bulimia was for me, just to cover up emotions that I don't want to feel. I would purge and then I would binge because I felt crappy. And then that would be like a terrible cycle. And when I had this brain injury on top of being like emotionally broken, I was physically broken, real bottom, you know, the bathroom floor. And I reached for one of the many self-help books I had because I knew I needed help and I was trying and I was buying different books, but this little doubt aging, it's like a pocket-sized, pocket-sized little book. It's, um, it comes from sixth century BC. It's actually the second most translated book in the world after the Bible, but it is not as well known here as it is in the East. So anyway, I reached for this book. It's very short. It has one verse per page, kind of, um, 81 verses. And I started reading it. And as I started to slowly heal, I would take walks. I remember these cold winter walks and I would meditate on one verse at a time. And I would really think about it and see how it made me feel. And it slowly, slowly, slowly began shifting my perspective on life and shifting my understanding of what was going on with me. And slowly I rebuild my life and I I have a very blessed, happy life right now as a mom a wife. I I live in a wonderful place. And all of that took this healing journey, the spiritual healing journey for me. I love that. I was fortunate enough to find the Tao um, several years ago as well. And it is, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating book. All the verses are very unique and, but they, they share a, a kind of, um, it's hard to say. It's just like paradox, like like it, kind of what you said in the beginning. The, the naming, um, the verses of the Tao are just so full of different paradox. Can you kind of explain what really jumped out to you? Um, maybe some of your favorite teachings from the Tao. Sure. And uh, just so folks know, in "Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing," my book, that uh, every chapter I start off with a verse of the Tao. Uh, so I I actually chose forty seven. It ended up being forty seven 
versus because I try to decrease the repetitiveness, even though some of that repetitiveness is very needed. If you're really going deep into these teachings, I took each verse and then I would even simplify it in like really, really modern terms with curse words and the whole thing, you know, like what really it means to me. And I talked about my own stories with each verse, my own life stories that I felt really showed the teachings of the, of the verse, but sometimes in a really bad way, like what not to do. (laughs) And, um, each, each one. So I actually have my book right here in front of me. Um, I love, I love so many of these verses, but one that I think really encapsulates a a lot of what the Tao is trying to say. And like you said, it is paradoxical because our existence is complicated and paradoxical. And it really does make you think, I really feel like some of these verses you can look at and try to analyze your entire lifetime. So verse number nine um, is the one that for me, really, I think everyone can relate to. It says, overfill your cup and it will spill. Sharpen a blade too much and it will chip off in use. Fill your house with jade and gold and you will only bring insecurity. Care about people's approval and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Mm. I I just think some of the, and you know, when we try to talk about it, this is why the Tao says, like we talked about in verse one, like the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. It's really hard sometimes to encapsulate the truth but it just feels true. Doesn't it? Doesn't it just feel true? Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things that I, I want it to be true, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I found that it is in the last, you know, I've been, I've been doing this work for about 20 years now. Um, I'm 40 now. So I started almost 20 years, started 21. And, uh, I actually, I have so many different translations. I went through a lot of different translations for don't just sit there, do nothing. I put different translations together because I wanted to get kind of a little feel of the different versions, but they all lead to the same thing. And to me, that is simplify, simplify, simplify your thoughts, simplify your ambitions, simplify your schedules. And it's a, it's a, not an easy feat because we are in human form. We're not in, we're not, you know, we're not just spiritual. We are also human and physical and we come with desires. And to me, what I use the Tao for is to balance that human side, because I do have ambitions and I do have desires. And sometimes we want stuff and whatnot. And so what the Tao always does is bring me back to center, bring me back to, Hey, everything is going well. Everything is okay. It also says in in a different verse, the best way to live is to be like water to just flow, to flow with life. And that also helps me go through the harder parts of life. Because even though, like I said, I'm in a really good place in life. I've been for a while. Of course, that doesn't mean there's, I think we often confuse, you know, easefulness with easy. So the Tao teaches us to be easeful. Life isn't always easy, but we can be easeful in experiences that are difficult. Mm. 
I love that. I am struggling so hard with this concept right now in my life. I feel this a lot. And I'm going to read my version, which is a different translation than the one that you have there. Um, and it says, after finishing the work, withdraw. How how do you know when it is time to finish your work? That That is so, so difficult. Like you said, when you're trying to be ambitious, you've got goals, there's things you want to do, but there is a time when you have to close your laptop and be done for the day. How do you know when you're there? And, you know, it's so funny. I, um, you know, at the end, I think I told you in, in, in the book, and they'll just sit there, do nothing. At the end of each verse, I would do my own little easier kind of like encapsulation. So my one encapsulation for that verse is, verse is know when to stop with a period after each word. That's all I say about it. That's what it is. Know when to stop. And here's what I found that really helps me. It doesn't mean I always do it, Casey. You know, we're, we're human. <laughs> but what I found that really, really works is checking in with yourself. This is why this is why I called my book, Do Nothing. I don't actually mean do nothing, but I mean that if you take breaks to get still, you become really aware of yourself. And I find that self-awareness is a true superpower that most of us can't have when we're always listening to the outside voices and to the messaging and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I recently read that we have more we consume more information in one day right now than hundreds of years ago people did in their entire lifetime, just several hundred years ago. We consume more in one day. It's hard to hear your own inner voice and it's hard to have that self-awareness, which is why it's integral to a, to a successful, balanced life. It's integral to, to get still. So what I've noticed is when I practice stillness and I do that daily in one way or another, and when I don't, I pay for it, to be honest with you. I could feel I could feel myself off. So, But because I practice the stillness regularly, I am aware when my energy is off. And I know that once I start getting overtired, stressed, anxious, whatever that is, I know that whatever I do will be so much less potent than what I do out of a good, stable, centered place. So I know like, look, maybe I will still finish my work at that time, but it's not going to, it's not going to be smooth. And maybe I will send out some emails that I have to, but I know inside myself, I have that awareness that if I put it off and I close the computer and I go recenter myself or I go play with my kids or whatever it is, I know that when I come back to it, it'll be so much stronger. So for me, knowing when to stop is it's about being aware what's going in inside of yourself. And we're not robots, we're not machines. So we actually have an internal compass that's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And sometimes we push on anyway. Most of us do push on anyway. But if you, if you, if you get in touch, you, you will feel it. Mm, I really love that. I think one of the main concepts of the Tao is finding your center by finding the edges. You go out and you find your edges, and that tells you when to recenter and how to recenter because you're already too far one way or the other. And I think that's what you're trying to explain there. When you feel that, that stress and that overwhelm, you know that you're at one of your edges and you need to have the pendulum swing the opposite direction. Is that, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And it says, even in the day it says, you know, untie your knots, right? Remember that one Untie untie your knots or loosen your knots and settle your dust. Like there's a feeling, the stirred up feeling inside of us. I, I write about that as well we can, you know, there's different facets to this feeling, but we all know when we're there, when we're Zen or when we're centered, or maybe we're super energetic, but when we're in that place where we can do anything and when we're not. And, 
you're right that the Dow, it's not about like what I love about the Dow, the Dow De Ching is that it's not about being perfect and walking some perfect way. It's about finding your way. By the way, the Dow translates as the way. The Dao Te Ching is the book of the way. And so that way, the only way you find it is like you said, it was by finding the edges. It's about the back and forth, like the flow, the ebbs, the ebbs and the ebb and flow uh, of life itself, which includes going to those edges of anxiousness or stress or, and then you bring yourself back. So again, it's not about being some perfect spiritual Buddha because most of us are not, but when you become self-aware, you are able to know when it's time to bring yourself back. Mm. You also wrote about accepting you as the full you, and this is really uncomfortable. I I can say for me personally, this is very uncomfortable. Uh, The the phrase that you wrote, I am friendly and sweet and I am judgmental. We, We look at the first two things that you say that you are and say, okay, those are good. Give them a label. And then we say you're judgmental and we say that's bad. You don't want to be judgmental. Um, but, but you say it's okay to accept all of that. Can you explain that a little bit? Absolutely. And this is, it goes back to what you said about the Tao being so paradoxical because it is. Uh, and this is a chapter two in my book, which is called, I love you. I not love you, which is something my older sister used to say about the baby all the time. I love baby. I not love baby. <laughs> and I thought, my God, that is so honest. And we can lie to ourselves all we want. We all want to be that sweet, altruistic person, but we have to accept our shadow side. You know, in some, some people call it shadow work. It is just there. It just is. And the Tao says, we're the ones who put the labels. You know, it says people see beauty in what they call beauty. That way they know of the ugly people see good and what they call good that way they know of the bad. So it's like labels that we put on experiences and on feelings. And I explain in that chapter that the quote unquote negative feelings are not bad feelings. They're just feelings. And if you strip away, for example, the uncomfortable connotations we give to jealousy, as an example, you strip away, you you admit to yourself, hey, I'm feeling jealous right now. And who doesn't in this world? I mean, God, we have like social media at every turn. We we see things, people doing great things or people living their perfect life. And jealousy is stirred up in us all the time right now. I know that to be true because I, you know, I talk to people. I'm a people person. And if we just stuff that down, that is just lying to ourselves. That's not the best way to live. And It's not the best way to find true inner peace. So another way to look at it is to say, hey, I'm feeling jealous right now. And then you realize what is jealousy? As an example, that's just one quote unquote negative emotion that I'm doing as an example. So you look at jealousy and you say, I'm feeling jealous because I want to do that or I want to experience that. And so you say, hey, this jealousy feeling is actually just teaching me clarifying for me what it is that I want to cultivate in my own life. And you think the person, the picture, the, whatever it is, the the object that makes you feel jealous, you think that feeling and you wish well to the person that stirred up that feeling in you. And then you, what, what remains then is not negative connotation of jealousy, but the understanding the clarity of what you want to create in your life. So when you accept those quote unquote negative emotions, you are able to accept yourself fully and you're able to know yourself better. 
That's amazing. That's such a great answer and so very hard to do. Uh, great segue into a quote from one of my other favorite books, The Tao of Pooh. I'm sure you have come across it by Benjamin Hoff. Just such a wonderful um, relation relating the Tao and the Tao de Jing to Winnie the Pooh in the series of books. And, and one of his quotes I, that I wrote Love down, it. Love I, it. it's so good. It's so good. Highly recommend it. Um, one of the quotes from Benjamin Hoff, there are things about ourselves that we need to get rid of. There are things we need to change. But at the same time, we do not need to be too desperate, too ruthless, too combative. Along the way to usefulness and happiness, many of those things will change themselves, and the others can be worked on as we go. The first thing we need to do is recognize and trust our own inner nature and not lose sight of it. I just, I love that. I think it so much relates to what you're talking about as far as embracing those emotions that we give those negative labels. Absolutely, because whether you accept or don't accept the truth, the truth is still the truth. That's what, that's why I say like self-awareness is your superpower. It's not about being aware of how great you are. Uh, for example, I wrote an entire book about my life story. I am so proud of myself, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, I'm not full of myself at all. And if you read that book, you'll understand that I'm not because like, like I, I joke, like, don't just sit there, do nothing is basically my one giant humiliation story. Like I love to look at all my faults and mistakes because I learned so much from them. And the reason I actually put them all in there is because I want people to get more comfortable with their own quote unquote, bad sides, bad experiences, bad choices, because when you're able to own that, you are completely free. You are free of the labels of good, bad, et cetera. And you realize there is nothing, there's no one quality or one action that defines me. Mm. Yeah. In the introduction, I believe you said um, you were falling in love with your pitfalls, which I think is is amazing. That's really well said. Um, you also say that life is like a zebra, which I thought was great. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. That's actually um, a Russian quote that, so my dad used to say that to me, that life is like a zebra when I would be going through one of my angsty experiences as a teenager. So what is a zebra? A zebra is an animal and it has a certain coloring and it has one stripe that's white, one stripe that's black and on and on and on. And there's no, it doesn't think about it. It just wears its stripes. And that's very much how life flows. Life goes through quote unquote, good experiences, quote unquote, bad experiences and on and on. And again, if we take those labels away, that's why I say, quote, if you take away the good and the bad, it's just life. And some of life's experiences are extremely difficult. We've all experienced loss. And my God, these last couple of years of living through a pandemic, we, we can't change that life comes with difficulties, but we can change the way we move through difficulties. Mm, I love that. There was a pandemic. Nobody told me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, I think that's very well explained too. I, one thing that's very difficult of all this you also address is, is the value of not knowing all of life's answers. How can we embrace the mystery that is life that's so uncomfortable? Yeah, I, right. There's a, you're right that I have a chapter about that uh, because God, don't we want answers so badly? We want absolutes. Uh, and as human beings, we really, really, really need to feel, we feel comfortable with the knowing. And uh, I think I, um, in Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, I talked about how the pandemic just turned all of that on its side because all of a sudden we lost so much of what we thought was just a given. 
And I think it made a lot of us realize and what maybe some of us spiritual people have known for a while that everything's sort of an illusion, like everything in our physical world, all our constructs, none of them are, none of them are completely solid. And the way to be okay with that and with all of this not knowing, because we're still living in a time of a lot of unknowns, the only way to be okay with that is to accept it, right? Like, like I say, accept what is and go from there. Accept that in this lifetime, you will never know everything 100%. And in fact, the Tao Te Ching says that not thinking you know is a disease. Knowing is a disease. Not knowing is the cure. So progressing on your spiritual journey is not about knowing more. It's about removing all the things you thought you knew. Mm. Yeah, it's just such a paradox and so difficult to do. But you're right. Something you said earlier is once once you can do that, you are free. Nothing will ever bother you. And anything that happens in your life will fit within the container that you have created because you've been, you know, pushing those boundaries and allowing things to happen and being aware of them. I I, I love that. Um another thing that you talk about is is um being both beautiful and ugly at the same time. That's another paradox I wanted you to kind of explain. Yes. And that's also about the, the, the shadow work sort of, or the, the shadow part of ourselves. That's, it goes back to, uh, like I said, like, I love myself. I'm proud of myself. I wrote a book, blah, blah, blah. But also I know how imperfect I am. I know. And you know, I know how perfect everyone is, which is why I'm not a big fan of just gurus and, um, worship of anyone. And, uh, I think it's a really freeing place to be because if you're never really on, um, kind of the, you don't put yourself on the pedestal of being like, oh my God, I'm so great. And you also don't rip yourself apart when you inevitably fall off that pedestal. So sometimes you could be a really beautiful person doing really beautiful things. And there's always some quote unquote ugliness inside of all of us, whether it's jealousy or whatever it is, dissatisfaction, not enoughness, you know, being crabby with your significant other. It doesn't matter. Once you remove those labels and allow yourself to just be, you are set free. And then, you know, so it's funny because on this journey, like getting to talk to, to you and like-minded people, uh, it is such a wonderful experience for me because most places you, you say the Tao Te Ching and people say to me, Dada, what? You know, and it's so nice to just talk to somebody who's on a similar path of exploration. And to me, this experience in itself is my sort of gift for putting in the work of writing a book, which isn't always easy. And that's all I need from it. So when people say, are you excited? Your book's coming out. And I say, yes, just because that's the thing to say, but I just am, I'm neither excited or not excited. That's the place I've come to in my life because I like to ride the wave. I don't like to go climb to some really, really big hill from which I'm going to fall. Um, that's my personal choice. I mean, I'm all for if you, you know, if people want to feel really high, that's great too. As long as you know, that fall is going to come mm. with beauty comes ugliness. There's no other way. Mm. 
I love that. I loved watching, I, I believe it was a tweet of you um, the day you got your book deal and how excited you were. And I know how much, probably, well, I don't know how much work went into writing the book, but that was a really fun thing to uh, be able to watch and see your reaction, how excited you were. Super, super cool. Um, t- talking about nothingness and doing nothing, you know, the Tao says, do nothing and nothing is undone. What is the difference between doing nothing and being lazy? I think a lot of people would look at somebody who who is doing nothing and, you know, nothing's undone. Take, for example, Winnie the Pooh in his story. Um, yep. Why yep. Why is that? Why is nothingness different than laziness? Well, I don't, you know, to me, it's all semantics. And I will tell you that both me and Winnie the Pooh are lazy. <laughs> it took me a really long time to embrace that. And that doesn't mean I can't be super hardworking sometimes, but in my essence, oh my God, I love being lazy. I love to be lazy as does Winnie the Pooh. And I, it was so much guilt that I carried for that for a long time. I mean, I come from this, uh, the Soviet culture of like very achievement based culture from a very young age where, you know, school was six days a week as an example, and you were pushed really hard. And I was also a gymnast, a Soviet gymnast, and I was pushed hard there too. And, um, you know, and in America, it's not that we're like so hardcore achievement based, uh, with our young kids, but we are very stuff based, right? Like we're very material based with certain cars, certain houses, like the things, the things we all want the stuff. And when you, I was inherently always had a very lovely, lazy side. I like to nap, et cetera, et cetera. And I always felt so guilty. And especially as a mom of two young kids and we are taught to feel guilty for times when we are not doing. And that is a very, very Western type of mentality because the Tao teaches us that doing and not doing support each other. What that means is, again, it's like what we talked about earlier. If you do, 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 you get to a certain point inside of you that you know you should stop. And many of us, and in our culture of like work, um, you know, till you drop, we don't heed that call to be lazy, to do nothing. So uh, for me, I think it's important to really reframe what laziness is. Why is laziness bad? Why shouldn't we want to do nothing a little bit of the time or a lot of the time? (laughs) I mean, it is such a, like, it is such a natural need to want to rest, to want to relax, to want to chill. It is so natural. And to paint that with a brush where we all feel guilty if we do do that, that's crazy. We're not robots. Mm, I'm totally guilty of that. <laughs> I totally yeah. feel I totally feel guilty if I'm taking a little bit of time for myself or going on a walk or you know I'm not with clients. I just spin in guilt. <laughs> it's so hard to allow yourself that time because it, at the same time, like you, you, it's so essential. You need it. You need those winters in your life. You need time to surrender. You need time to kind of kind of relax and and not be strung so tight. I mean, isn't one of the other verses of the Tao talking about very similar to the verse earlier? The the bow that's always strung too tight will not will lose its spring basically. Yeah. And, um, that's why, by the way, I didn't like include all the verses because like for, for, for an introduction to the Tao, I thought it'd be nice to introduce each, each kind of philosophy once, you know, but yes, you're absolutely right. And the thing that I, I tell people, I think it's so important to consider is that your own inner voice, your own inner belief, or is that your programming? Because we all come with programming. I mean, in our first couple of years of life, we're completely programmed. We're not, 
you know, we're, we're taught. I talk about that in, in the book as well. Um, babies come in to the world with an idea of oneness. They don't realize their separation. They don't realize they're a separate being, separate from their mom, separate from the sun, separate from the milk that they want to drink, you know? And so we teach them. We teach them early on. We start labeling things and teaching them. And then we keep teaching them. And so then later as adults, what I've started to do, and this is why, again, why I say your self-awareness is your superpower. I start a conversation with myself like, okay, yeah, I feel guilty for wanting to do nothing, but is that my guilt or is that programmed guilt? Mm. And, you know, it's a, it's a good question to ask yourself or, or, or sometimes is that my voice or my mother's voice or society's voice? Mm. Practically speaking, what are some other practices that people can start with if this is the first time they've ever heard of this? That is a great question. And um, in Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, each chapter I end with Do Your Tao. Um, I love that section. And I loved adding that little section to the end of each chapter because I, I, that's exactly what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring folks some practices that they can do right now. And some of it is just a shift in thinking, uh, just a shift in perception. I didn't want to give too much work because that would be, you know, hypocritical with the book called Do Nothing. <laughs> so a lot of it, a lot of it is a shift in perception. I love to tell people that, okay, so for example, the first thing is creating those moments of stillness so that you can become an observer and not just a doer. The Why I think stillness is so important, or some people may call it laziness, I don't know, but <laughs> why the do nothingness is so important is you are able to stop and just become an observer for a second instead of a doer. And we all have that aspect of ourselves within ourselves, right? If you're, you know, if you've ever meditated and you know that your brain just keeps going and then you're observing your, all your thoughts. So one part of you is thinking of thoughts. The other part is observing who's that observer. So it's nice to rest in the observer for a minute. And if you don't do that, if your schedule is completely packed, I tell people schedule and schedule time. Like, I don't care if you throw in just five minutes to start with in the middle of your day with do nothing in capital letters on your calendar. And then it comes up and see what you want to do. Maybe you just sit and you look out the window and you watch a tree branch sway and move with the wind. And that's all you do. Maybe that's your one connection with nature for the day is just watching a tree branch for a few minutes and you see how it flows with what's going on around it. And maybe you bring some of that flow into yourself or you look up at the sky for a second. Maybe you don't have time to meditate this morning and you're rushing the kids out. And as you step out of your door, you look up and you feel the expansiveness of the sky and you just bring that within yourself for one moment. Or when you're in the middle of a thousand things, you stop and you take a deep, deep inhale and a slow exhale. That is the simplest thing you can do. Deep inhale, slow exhale, and you realize how shallow your breath is most of the day. Mm. Really, really simple things. 
Those are very simple things. I really love and appreciate that answer with lots of great practical tips. It's quite stunning the first time you kind of do this. First of all, like you'll do nothing for a few seconds before the pull of your cell phone and and social media, you know, starts to grab your attention and then, you know, you just found that you wasted 20 minutes, you know, scrolling Twitter or something. But totally. when, when you when you <clears throat> slow down and you like like looking at a tree or looking at the sky, you realize like holy shit, like there's a lot going on all the time around me everywhere that I don't ever pay attention to. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny. And as we realized when the pandemic first started, like all of that stuff around us does not care what's going on with us. You think your ambitions or stuff that's not going right. It's just like everything. It's your whole world. We forget how myopic we become with our own lives. And then you look out there and you realize the sun shines, the wind blows, the tree grows, you know, et cetera. It's, 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 there's a whole life, a whole world. And sometimes we just take it for granted. Yeah, absolutely. When I was deep in the pandemic and deep into the news cycle, I was listening to all kinds of different podcasts with all the news and updates and everything that was going on in other parts of the world. And you're right, like the ducks by my lake, they didn't give a shit. Like they didn't care. <laughs> the birds flying around, they don't care. Like the plants that just yeah. grow and and wave to you in the wind, none of them, none of them gave a shit about the news. And I realized I was getting so worked up about stuff that's never going to happen to me. And I can be sympathetic, obviously, but but I don't need to waste my time learning about all the negative things that are happening in places where I will never be and things that I could never help myself. Nature just goes on its own. It's so wise until we come in and goof everything up. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, it's so funny because like I said before, like we consume more information in a day than people used to in their whole lifetime. And we're bombarded by just cataclysmic news. And it's so bad for our nervous system because like you said, a lot of the time, this stuff is, some of it is really far away. And I'm not saying just to be completely uninformed, but it is a must to take a break from the news cycle. Mm. It is Absolutely. Because when you are completely anxious and stressed out, first of all, you ruin your immunity. The immune system is so sensitive to our stress and our worries and our anxiety. So first of all, you're making yourself more likely to get sick. Second of all, you are no good to the world when you are just a complete anxious mess. And I know because I used to be an anxious mess for, for many years. <laughs> You cannot do much good for the world when you are not in a centered, peaceful state yourself. You know, that's why I say all the time, and this is, we all hear it, you know, change begins with you. Be the change you want to see. Create the energy within yourself that you'd like to see in the world. And you will touch people with that energy. You know, when you are at your centered, peaceful, loving place within yourself, that's what you put out into the world. Mm, that's lovely. We do live in a world that feels very heavy at times. There's a lot of heaviness going on. Um, you talk about laughing and napping and chilling the fuck out, which I absolutely love. Yeah. <laughs> How are some ways that we can bring more of that lightness into your, you know, sometimes heavy existence? So I think it's absolutely important to maybe you take a day, a day that you do not check social media, do not check the newsfeed. And it's a day that if you have kids, you just play with your kids. You just spend with the family. You go for a walk. You do whatever it is that fills you up. If you can't take a whole day because everyone has different schedules and different uh, demands on them, then you take an hour or you take 
15 minutes a day when you disconnect from everything. Uh, I think it all begins with you. I love a couple of minutes of meditation or deep breathing. Journaling is really great. Write all your stuff out, get your negativity outside of yourself. You put, you know, you put all your worries and your anxieties on paper and all of a sudden there's a step, you, you created space between you and your anxious thoughts. And just make sure to do the things that fill you up. There's wonderful books you can read. May I suggest, don't just sit there, do nothing. There's, um, there's, there's uh, walks to take. There's uh, exercise to try. I think the world is filled with beauty and wonderful things, but sometimes we need to consciously turn our head away from the chaos in order to see it. I, I love how you made all of this so simple and practical. Not that it's easy, but but that it's simple. It's 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 something we can grasp. Sometimes the Tao Te Ching is a little bit difficult to understand, and you've been able to make it really, you know, very digestible. Can you explain the writing process and what that was like for you? Absolutely. And I, part of me wanted to call it like the Tao for Dummies, but that's that's not a really good self helpy <laughs> spiritual kind of name. But um, I just look. I fell in love with the. Tao Te Ching many years ago. I do not expect everyone to do that. And I think everyone has their own uh, passions and interests. And I happened, I happen to still be a spiritual at my core. I'm just a spiritual searcher and I always will be. I know that about myself and I'm a writer. I was a writer before I wrote this book. And so it was just the natural thing to do. I started this book before the pandemic and then that started. And I was like, this is so needed, this information. And what I say is it is life-changing. It will change your life if you let it, but it does it so softly, which is what I love about it. What I love is these shifts in perception can be so small sometimes and they can start slowly. And it doesn't have to be this 30 day challenge where, you know, you, you take this course and you were completely a new person in 30 days. I just didn't want it to be like that. I wanted to put something soft out into the world because we have a lot of, you know, hard, we have a lot of hardness here already. And I, I wanted to give folks kind of a break, a breather from the world we live in right now. Uh, so I took, I started collecting more translations of the Tao than what I myself was used to. I love uh, a Stephen Mitchell translation. And there's another one that I had by Jonathan Starr, but I started, you know, I found some very, very off the grid translations by um, students. And I just kind of for a year was all Tao all the time. I just submerged myself in these words and I would analyze them and meditate on them and walk with them and think of them. And uh, eventually I would use a verse. I would put together kind of my own translation. I would take a line from here, a line from there and put together a verse that made sense, that felt solid to me. And then I would do my own translation of it in a really funny way, sometimes using curse words um, in a way that like literally anyone, if you, you may read the verse and be a little confused and just know that that's totally normal as my husband calls it gobbledygook because th this is not simple. This is ancient, ancient philosophy. So what I wanted to do is after each verse, I put in like a very simple modern day translation in my own words that everybody would get. And then I would write an essay from my own life or observations from the world that really, really put that teaching into a modern day experience that people would really easily understand. And I would end each section with a do your Tao 
which was sometimes a thought, uh, a thought that I would be like a takeaway that you can carry with you maybe for a few days, or it would be a, an action, an invitation for a certain type of action. And I don't expect anyone to love every single one of these do your DAOs, but I know that everyone can find something, something that will shift them, some really mind altering, perception shifting, reality bending experiences in there. Mm. I'm so glad you mentioned gobbledygook. I have that written down. I'm so <laughs> so glad you put that in the book, like led with that. Like, wow, this, this is great. <laughs> it's on my level. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I, I'm all about honesty. Like there's, you know, I would go and re-edit the, you know, we, we all, all us writers edit a lot of times. And at first, like the biggest hurdle is just to get it on paper, but then you edit and you edit again, you edit again. And every time I'd go back and edit, if something felt slightly inauthentic, I would change that around. I, I really stripped it down until it was just the, my truth. It was just truth. I didn't want to have anything, just no, no falseness in there, no pretentiousness. I wanted it to be as real as I believe the essence of the Tao is. That's that's a very difficult thing to be so you know vulnerable and honest. I think a lot of people would go the other way and try to not reveal so much about themselves. So I really appreciate that you did it in in that way. Um, you've mentioned journaling a few times, and I've talked to lots of people over the years about journaling. And only recently, like this month, did I actually start journaling. And I'm always a little surprised as I'm writing words, things are coming through me. They're not something that I premeditated on or I thought I would say. It's almost like the words are coming from the pen. Do you experience that when you write as well? I experienced that when I write everything. In fact, like even this book, I would meditate before I'd write each chapter. And sometimes, you know, I knew the verse, but sometimes what I ended up writing was not at all what I expected. I'd be like, what? This is actually really good. Good job, whoever put that in my head. Because <laughs> it does feel, it does feel like I, that's why it's hard for me to be like very, oh, good job, good job, Jesse. Like, I think it's a good job that I followed through on the vision I had. I, I am really grateful for that because I haven't always been a follow through or follower through her. But um, I know for certain that the words that come through me come through me. They don't come from me. It's very much uh, Stephen Pressfield kind of thing. Like when you sit down to do the work and you you start writing, you start to get help from the universe or the muse or God or whatever you want to call it. But you have to you know show some effort and show up a little bit for that action to actually get started for you. Um, it is an interesting experience when you're going through it, though. What is your what is your next project? Is there something else you're working on now that this is over? Or are you going to chill out a little bit and uh, enjoy it? Yeah, I don't know for sure yet because like you said, I really believe you need to open yourself up to being that channel to put something to put something out into the world that is really healing or necessary or maybe just fun and entertaining. God, I I love to read and there's plenty of novels that I read just for fun, but um I am not quite ready to embark on a, another project yet. I, I write it anyway. Like I journal, sometimes I write in my notes section when I have thoughts, I, I, I always tell people like journaling doesn't have to be this hard thing. It is great to write with your hand and pen, but you know what, if you're just lying in bed and you have some thoughts and you want to just start like typing it out on your phone in the notes section, it's totally fine. It's fine. Like it's the whole process of just getting your thoughts outside of yourself. And then the more you do it, the more they flow. 
And so I'm not there yet. I'm full throttle in, uh, in don't just sit there, do nothing. And the Tao Te Ching is still, and I'm loving talking about it and promoting it. And that's where I am at. And I stop myself. Sometimes I say like, what is my second book going to be? What is my next? And then I stop myself because again, that's not me. That's that programming that makes me feel like got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep moving, you know? And I'm just, I am here right now. Yeah. Another quote by Benjamin Hoff in the Tao Te Ching, the surest way to become tense, awkward, and confused is to develop a mind that tries too hard, one that thinks too much. And that's, that's a really easy pattern to get into and overthinking and worrying, getting anxious about the future. Your book just has so many great tips. It's very practical. It's easy to understand. And we just really appreciate that you brought that light into the world. This has been an amazing conversation as well. What is one simple tip you would want the listener to take away from this conversation and apply in their lives? Great question, Casey. If I had to just give one tip right now, based on where we are in the world, I would say choose love, not fear. There's so much stuff out there right now that stirs up fear and anxiety and worry in us. And I say, when that happens, shift your perspective, shift your mindset. And instead of saying like, I just, I'm so scared. I got to be so careful. say, I'm going to be mindful. Sure. There's a lot of, you know, there's a pandemic going on. Instead of saying, I am scared instead of being scared, switch that around say, I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to be mindful in the world. That's a good way of looking at it. So just in every situation, when you can stop yourself, ask if you're coming from fear, if you're sitting in fear and try to shift that towards love. Well, that is a beautiful answer. Jesse Kanzer, where can people go to connect with you and your work? And thank you for asking that question because that is important, isn't it, for me? <laughs> so uh, so my book is actually ready for pre-order. It officially launches March 1st, but you can pre-order it anytime you hear this on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Bookshop, whatever, wherever books are sold. Um, all of that information and ordering options is on jessiecanzer.com, J-E-S-S-I-E-K-A-N-Z-E-R.com. And uh, all my socials are on there as well. I'm at Jesse Kanzer on Instagram. And uh, I'm, I'm a little different on TikTok. It's at Daily Dow, but you will find that all on jessikanzer.com. That is awesome. We will link to that in the show notes. I'm going to take a stab at this. Jesse Asia Kanzer, did I get it right? Close, close. Jesse Asia Kanzer. <laughs> uh, Asia. Jesse Asia Kanzer, author of Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. Thank you so very much for your work, for demystifying something that can be sometimes confusing and elaborate and, and very ancient, but distilling it down into Double something. Double <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You've been able to distill it down into something that's easy to understand. It's fun to practice. It brings a lightness to life. And we're just so grateful for that. And we're grateful for you and your work and your time to come on our show today. So thank you so very much. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for your time as well. Absolutely. We're grateful for you too. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. 
This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as, as have we. Um, as we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual mat Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.